0: Before you go to sleep, not now, but this evening, uh, chances are that you will have uh, seen at least 25 advertisements, and that's uh, billboards and on uh, benches and on yard signs. If you were to open up the newspaper, there are ads on just about every page. Turn on the television and that number increases exponentially. In fact, just about every eight minutes, our TV is interrupted with commercials galore. If you've been watching the NCAA tournament, you know there's lots of commercials. There's the first dead ball after the uh, 16-minute mark, the 12, the eight, the four, and then that doesn't even include timeouts by the coaches that also lead to commercials. And of course, more commercials appear in those wonderfully annoying pop-up ads that appear on our computers, or when we're trying to watch some kind of YouTube video. The point is this. We are constantly bombarded with ads that try to convince us that some product out there is deserving of our attention, our time, and our money. Well, in order for us to sort of sort through all these claims, there's a publication out there called Consumer Reporters. It's a magazine, and they conduct tests For many of these products that you see on tv or in the stores and basically what they are trying to help us find out is how good the product really is does that vacuum really pick up all the dirt that they say it does which refrigerator is the most reliable which hd tv has the best picture which hybrid car is the most efficient now they also include another page that's dedicated to advertisements. And the difference is this, that these are ads that their readers have sent to them that may seem a bit strange. One reader, for example, submitted an ad for a rosewood and brass walking stick with, quote, an elegant finish and beautiful craftsmanship that never goes out of style. There's just one problem. As it says on the bottom of the ad, in very small print, not capable of human support. I guess only a ghost is able to use that walking stick. Another reader found a, quote, healthy brand of soup that came in a new package which said, now better than ever. And the reader wondered, well, what made it better? And when he checked it out, he found that it had more salt, more sugar, less protein, more fat. Better is obviously not healthier. Still, there was another for a simple step stool that included this classic warning. Do not leave step stool unattended. I suppose you have to take it to bed with you then. And then finally, one ad said, push, pull, or tow your old car in, and we will give you at least $3,000 as a trading. Well, that sounds like a pretty good deal, right? Until you read the fine print. Car must be able to run 65 miles per hour you're going to have to push that baby pretty fast to get in the car dealership. (laughs) Well, what all these ads sort of remind us is that we are looking for the truth. And sometimes we can catch it by reading the fine print on the bottom of the ad. Sometimes we need the other folks to help us and do some digging like Consumer Reports magazine. We need them to test out to see if these claims that are being made are actually true. Well, whichever is the case, it's important for us to come back to the truth. And so as I launch us into the message this morning, I have a very, very poignant and personal question. Does it really matter to you if Christianity is true or not? Does it really matter if what Jesus said is the truth? You know, there's some popular writers out there who will attack any belief in God as an illusion, like certain atheists like Richard Dawkins in his book that he wrote called The God Delusion. There are others who will say, well, what really matters is that you believe in something, anything, that brings out the best in you. Your daily horoscope, your intellect, your analytical mind that's able to problem solve. And so what happens is then we wind up singing right along with Frank Sinatra, I did it my way. Barna Research found that back in 2014, check this out, 2014 now, 66% of all Americans, two-thirds of all Americans, deny that there's any such thing as absolute truth. In fact, there's a new category of people in this country. They're called the nuns, not N-U-N-S, like Catholic nuns, but N-O-N-E-S, nuns who claim no religious affiliation at all. And these nuns now make up one fifth of our country and they are the fastest growing group. So in many ways, the cry of today seems to be, well, whatever works for you. Well, friends, the Church of Jesus Christ stands upon the truth, the truth of his words. From the very lips of Jesus, to the beginning of the church at Pentecost, down to you and me sitting here today. Christians have always believed that there's only one way to God and that is through Jesus Christ and faith in his cross. The Bible says this in John 3, 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Acts 4, 12 says, salvation is found in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to humankind by which we must be saved. 1 John 5.12 says, he who has the son has life. He does not have the son, does not have life. As Presbyterians, we affirm this in our creeds, which we'll say later, and in our book of confessions. It's what the disciples, the apostle Paul, and the early church martyrs died for. It's what reformers like Martin Luther, John Calvin, and John Knox believed with every fiber of their being. Well, this morning I'm continuing my sermon series on the I am statements of Jesus. And we come to really one of the strongest claims of Jesus. We're looking once again in John's Gospel. And this morning, we're looking at John chapter 14, verses one through six. Now, already, we've heard Jesus make claims about being the good shepherd. We've heard Jesus say, I am the light of the world. Next week, we're gonna talk about when Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Today, I think Jesus makes the boldest of all his, his claims. And so, please join me now in John's Gospel John 14, verses one through six. Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself so that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, right away, we have one of the most problematical statements in all the Bible. I mean, think about it. Wouldn't have been easier if Jesus had simply said, well, I am a way, a truth, and a life for some people. But instead, Jesus makes this absolute, non-negotiable, no holds barred statement that kind of, as Christians, paint us into a corner. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And just as people found that offensive 2,000 years ago, people today still find that as offensive a claim as Jesus could ever make. And so people wanna ignore it, they wanna neglect it, or they wanna water it down, believing, well, you know, John, as long as you're sincere, whatever you believe is just fine. So let's think about that for a moment. You can sincerely believe that the earth is flat all you want, but that does not change the fact that all the research and all the scientific evidence indicates that the the earth is round. So I'm not sure, and I don't think, that sincerity is necessarily the best test for the truth. Another point of uh, people today is that they'll say, well, Christianity might be right for some people, but it's not right for all people. In other words, truth becomes a matter of personal preference. I like the beach, you may like the mountains. I like butter on my bagel. You may like cream cheese. I like the Giants, and you may like some other annoying team that plays in Pennsylvania. <laughs> so truth then becomes a matter of personal preference, just like we make our favorite schools or our sports teams. You know, our understanding of what is true has undergone this radical shift, I think, in the past 25 to 35 years. It's gone from one big capital T truth a lot of little individualized lowercase t truths. So, what may be true for you may not be true for me. In other words, what people say is, well, I, you know, I don't want to say that I have the, the market cornered on what is true. I'm just holding on to one truth amongst many truths. And so, you've got your truth, I've got my truth, all with a lowercase small t. There are various words for this kind of condition. We call it relativism, secularism, postmodernism. How many of you have been on your your son or daughter's college campus lately? Every belief that has ever been practiced is available, and there's a lot of new ones now, that basically say, well, whatever is acceptable, affirmed, tolerated, whatever you believe, of those things, hey, that, that's fine with me, that's fine. As Christians, we believe that a Jewish carpenter who lived 2,000 years ago is a narrow gateway through whom all people must enter into the kingdom of God. And one day, one day, as the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 2, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus said it this way in John 14, 6. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now in this scripture from John 14, I need to set the context for you just a little bit. Jesus is with his disciples in the upper room. This is before Jesus is arrested. It's the Passover. This is John's version of the Last Supper. The mood around the table is rather somber. Jesus has already revealed to his disciples that one of them is going to betray him. One of them is going to deny him. He told them that he would be going away to a place that they could not go. The disciples are confused. They don't understand what he means. All they know is that it sounds ominous and they are troubled by his words. And so Jesus wants to ease their anxieties and help them to trust in God. And friends, even when things around us seem to be breaking bad or going wrong, Jesus says, trust, trust in God, trust also in me. And friends, if Jesus is who he says he is, then not only can we depend on him, but really he's the only one that we can truly depend on. One scholar puts it this way, Jesus is making an exclusive truth claim. God in human flesh is telling his disciples that he is the only way to heavenly dwelling, and there is no other way to God other than himself through his cross and the empty tomb. So it is Jesus, as God in human flesh, who teaches that Christianity is the only true religion, that no other religion or philosophical system or religious sentiment or human aspiration leads to God He alone is the way to the Father. So when Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, he wasn't giving us a lot of wiggle room, was he? What he was doing was rejecting that there's many ways to God or that a person can chart their own course or or just be sincere or that all roads lead to heaven. Instead, he's saying, there's only one way, and that way is him. Jesus says, to see me is to see God. To know me is to know the Father. And so what Jesus is saying very clearly to you and me 2,000 years later is that Jesus is not just one of many ways to God, he's the only way. Love the story that's told by the author and evangelist, Tony Campolo. He tells of of a time that he was flying on an airplane he had a chartered, uh, a red eye, booked a red eye from California that was gonna take him all the way across the country back home to Philadelphia. Now, Tony Campolo said he was looking forward to getting some rest since it was a red eye, but the guy next to him wanted to talk. And the man asked him, what do you do? And Tony Campolo thought in his mind, saying, you know, now, when I tell, when I wanna to talk to someone, if I tell them I'm a sociologist, they say, hey, that's interesting. But if I really want someone next to me to shut up, I tell him, I'm a Baptist preacher. (laughs) He says, and that usually does it. And so he told the man, I'm a Baptist preacher. Well, undeterred, the man said, do you know what it is that I believe? And Tony Campola thought, but was way too polite to say out loud, I can hardly wait. The man said, I believe that going to heaven is like going to Philadelphia. And they went on to explain The man said, there are many ways to get to Philadelphia. Some go by airplane, some go by train, some go by bus, some drive by automobile. It doesn't make any difference how we go there. We all end up in the same place. Later on, they started their descent into the Philadelphia airport, but they couldn't land because the whole airport was fogged in. The wind was blowing, the rain was beating against that plane, and everyone on board was starting to get a little nervous and anxious. While the plane was circling in the air because of the heavy fog, Tony Campolo turned to the man next to him, this theological expert, and said, I'm certainly glad the pilot doesn't agree with your theology. And the man said, well, what do you mean? Then Tony Campolo said, well, the people in the control tower right now are giving instructions to the pilot. Things like come in north by northwest, three degrees, you're on the beam, you're on the beam, don't deviate from the beam. And Tony Campbell said, I'm glad that the pilot's not saying, you know, there are many ways to get down into that airport. There are many approaches that we can take. Instead, I'm glad he's saying, there's only one way that we can land this plane and I'm going to stay with it. Oh yes, friends, the way is narrow, but the landing is sure. Now, as I look out around this room, I know just about all of you, not maybe not everybody because we have some guests and visitors with us today, which is wonderful. But those of you who I do know, I'll make the confession that I don't know where you are with Jesus Christ. In fact, you may not know where you are with him. Friends, this morning, I'm here to tell you that you can know. You can know that you belong to him from the top of your head to the very tips of your toes. That means you must be willing to say that Jesus is not just a humanitarian or a truth or one of many roads or many runways to God. But if you're willing to say that I commit or recommit my life to you, O Christ, and I vow that what you did on the cross is payment for my sin, and that I will vow and promise to choose my life for you best as I can by your grace, then he will be for you the way, the truth, and the life every day of your life. And I hope and pray all God's people say, Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these wonderful words of truth and hope that come to us this morning from the very lips of, of Jesus. Help us to remember that if we're looking for direction, Jesus says, I am the way. If we are looking for truth, Jesus says, I'll give you the truth and it will set you free. If we're looking for life, Jesus says, come to me and I will bring you life and it will be life abundantly. God, for any who don't know you or may be confused by all the competing voices out there that also claim to be true, hear this prayer from amongst your people here, and be the way, the truth, and the life for them as you are for each and every one of us. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.